But good morning. I am so glad to be with you guys this morning. Um, hope you all had a wonderful past week with family, with friends, whatever it was. Um, growing up, Thanksgiving was always my favorite holiday, uh, which is really weird because if you know me, I'm the pickiest eater you've ever met. Um, and I know some of you guys are thinking, oh, well, my toddler won't eat carrots all the time. Um, but I, I don't eat fruits and vegetables still to this day. I've tried over and over and over again, and I just can't do it. Um, I've, I'm a big fan of uh, possibly ordering pizza for Thanksgiving, um, or anything really other than Thanksgiving food, but I don't think my mom is going to let that fly. A little bit about myself. Um, my name is Will Clark. I am one of the, uh, I don't know if new is the term because we're like six months in, but I'm a fresh youth minister. Um, but uh, I grew up in Fayetteville, Tennessee, about two hours west, um, about as close to Alabama there as we are to Georgia here. Uh, but then I went to school in Dallas, Texas, and that was weird, going from a town of 7,000 to a campus of over 7,000 in a city of over a million was just like culture shock to the extreme. It was, extreme. It was so many people. Um, but one of the cool things about that is growing up in the middle of nowhere, we didn't have any like hometown teams. Like we kind of claimed Nashville teams, we kind of claimed Memphis or Atlanta, but we didn't have any actual hometown teams. Um, and so getting out to Dallas was awesome because it was like, hey, we got all the big four of sports. We've got basketball, football, hockey, uh, baseball. So this is like a great place to uh, have some hometown teams. Except growing up, I had already chosen my baseball and football teams. Um, I'm a Boston Red Sox fan, um, and I am a Washington football team fan. I'm not sure why for either of those. Uh, it's just kind of what I grew up in. Um, but I remember when I, was, when I was moving out to Dallas to go to school, my dad, along with all the advice your parents give you, like how to do your laundry and things like that, um, my dad told me, he was like, look, there's not a whole lot you can do that'll get you cut off, but... If you come back a Cowboys fan, you're not welcome back in my house. And I said, Dad, don't worry. Don't worry. It's fine. Um, and I'm still uh, a football team fan to this day. But it was weird. Uh, having never lived in, in a town where there were a bunch of teams, I didn't know what it was going to be like to be a fan of the hometown team's rival. I got out to Dallas, and I stayed really quiet about that for a while. I didn't really tell anybody. I was like, if people find out, they find out. But I'm not going to invite anything bad on myself by telling people I like the football team. But it turns out when your team is terrible, nobody really cares if you like them. Um, it, doesn't, it doesn't affect them at all. Except I remember vividly, I remember vividly October 21st, 2018, um, at the time, they were the Redskins playing the Cowboys in D.C. Um, I was, as, as they were headed into the fourth quarter, I was headed to a small group um, with some of my buddies, all, all of which were Cowboys fans. And I was riding hump seat in a car um, with, surrounded by Cowboys fans. And normally this wouldn't be a big deal because we were probably losing by a couple touchdowns or something. But we went into the fourth quarter leading 10 to 7. And we start the fourth quarter off. Redskins kick a field goal. 
13 to 7. The Cowboys turn around, kick a field goal, 13 to 10. We punt back and forth a few times. The Redskins sack Dak Prescott. He fumbles, we recover, and we score. We're now sitting at, let's see, that's 20 to 10. Uh, Cowboys turn around and score immediately. Uh, then we punt back and forth a few more times. Redskins end up having to punt to the Cowboys with a minute and nine seconds left on the clock. And they start their drive down the field, make it uh, to the Washington 29-yard line with three seconds left. The Cowboys get in field goal formation. The snap comes, but there are flags on the play. False start, moving back five yards. Three seconds left on the clock. No part of me wants this field goal to be good because of what might happen to me afterwards when I'm cheering and they're devastated. Um, the snap comes. Mayor's 52-yard attempt goes up. No good. Uh, Washington wins. I'm ecstatic. They all hate me. And we're about to sit down and try to talk about how Jesus has been working in our lives for the past week. Um, I was not the best small group I've ever been a part of. See, in Dallas, as with most, uh, most big cities with, with football teams or whatever it is, um, you're kind of expected to root for the hometown team. Like, that's why they're in your hometown. But I refused to cheer for the Cowboys. I guess that was my act of defiance. But this morning, I want to look at Jesus' defiance. I think if we wrote down all of the words that we would use to describe Jesus, I don't think defiant would be on many of our lists. Except I would venture to argue that, that his defiance was one of the reasons so many people followed him. I want to start in Matthew 8, verses 1 through 3. We're going to look at three different passages this morning and then kind of talk about them. So it says this, When he came down from the mountain... Great crowds followed him. And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. See, this is, this is a staple of Jesus' healing miracles. Right? If we were to list off, okay, uh, what types of people did Jesus heal? Leper would be up there. We would name that off really quick. We actually have an account throughout the New Testament of Jesus healing 11 lepers, um, but I'm sure there were more. And, and in order to see why this was such a big deal, I think we need to understand how leprosy was viewed in, in Jesus' culture. So the, the first thing to note is that um, they didn't understand disease the way that we do today. And so for them, when someone was, was leprous, that meant that they were cursed by God because of their sin. And, and there were laws and there were rules for, for how lepers had to live. Lepers had to wear uh, torn clothes. They were rejected by society. They had to stay six feet away from other people. They were seen as filth. They were rejected by their society. Yet here we see Jesus touching a leper and healing him. Now, Jesus wasn't clueless. Jesus didn't fall off the, what are they, the sweet potato truck the cart yesterday. right? He knew this. He knew that lepers were unclean. He knew that he wasn't supposed to be interacting 
with lepers. But he did. He decided to step into the life and space of this man and touch him and heal him. He knew that this guy was rejected based on something that he couldn't control. And Jesus chose to show him compassion. I want to look at another instance of Jesus' defiance. This is the story of uh, the Samaritan woman at the well. Um, And this is a long passage. It's in John 4, uh, verses 1 through 26. And I'm just going to kind of summarize it. Um, So Jesus and his disciples uh, sent some tension in Judea. And they decide, let's, let's move it on down the road and head to Galilee. And so this, this journey they were about to take uh, is about 70 to 80 miles or so, except this road goes straight through Samaria. Now, one of the things that's important to understand is that the Jews and the Samaritans didn't get along. In fact, the Jews absolutely despised the Samaritans. They thought they were like lepers. They, were, they thought they were filthy. They thought they were trash. And, and they thought this so much so that instead of taking the 70 to 80 mile journey straight through from Judea to Galilee, going through Samaria, they would almost double their trip length to completely avoid Samaria. It would turn this 70 to 80 mile journey into about a 120 mile journey. All because of how much they did not want to be around Samaritans. But Jesus chose to go straight through Samaria. And while he was traveling, he he got thirsty. They got hungry. It's been a long, long travel. I can barely make it three hours in the car without having to stop for something. Um, And so I can't imagine walking 70 or 80 miles. And, And so while they're traveling, he gets thirsty. And his disciples go to find food, but he stays at Jacob's well, right in the heart of Samaria. And while he's waiting at the well... Um, a woman comes up. It's about midday or so. And so this woman walks up and Jesus says, hey, can I get some water? She looks at him confused. She's like, um, why are you a Jew asking me for water? And Jesus says, well, if you knew who I was, then you would be asking me for a drink. She's like, what are you talking about? You don't have anything to draw water with? Like, It seems like you're the desperate one here, and I'm the only way you're going to get water. And she says, she says, what are you talking about? And Jesus said, Jesus said, anybody who drinks this water out of this well is going to get thirsty again. But anybody who drinks the living water that my Father provides will never thirst again. It'll it'll well up into a spring of eternal life. And this woman, I'm sure, perked up at that point. She was like, uh... Wait, can I get some of that water then? And Jesus says, sure, go call your husband and come back. And she says, well, I don't have a husband. And Jesus says, you know, you're right about that. Uh, You don't have a husband. You've actually had five. And the man that you're staying with now isn't your husband. And the woman, I'm sure, wanting to change the topic to anything else, says, sir, I perceive you're a prophet. She says, uh, so, so the Jews say that, that we've got to worship, worship this way, and, and we think we can worship this way. And Jesus says, ma'am, listen, a time is coming and, and is now come that, 
that real followers will worship in spirit and in truth. And she says, look, um, I know that at some point the Messiah is coming and he's going to explain everything to us. And Jesus says, look, I am the Messiah. And so this woman leaves and, and begins telling everyone she can find about, about her encounter with Jesus. And it says later on in John 4 that many Samaritans came to believe because of the testimony of this woman. See, again, Jesus isn't clueless. Jesus didn't just plug in Judea to Galilee in the GPS and follow wherever it took him. He chose to go through Samaria. But he knew that, that Jews and Samaritans didn't get along. Jesus also knew that this woman was at the well at noon because nobody wanted to be seen with her. And she didn't want to face all the backlash for her past mistakes with the other women at the well in the morning or, or later in the day. Yet the cool thing, and the thing that I missed in this for a long time, is that, is that Jesus didn't stumble upon this woman at the well. But it says Jesus was at the well when this woman came. Jesus was waiting for this woman at the well. And, and Jesus knew she was a Samaritan. Jesus knew they weren't supposed to interact. But he chose to step into the life and space of this woman who had been rejected by, by the Jews because of her ethnicity and rejected by her peers because of her history. And he decided to comfort her and invite her into a family. The last example I want to look at is John 8, verses 1 through 11. It says this, But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn he appeared again in the temple courts, where all the people gathered around him. And he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law of Moses were commanded to stone such women. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to ride on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, let any of you who was without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left, with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. Again, Jesus was not clueless. In fact, Jesus knew the law better than anybody. And the law did, in fact, command adulterous women to be stoned. Now, it also commanded the men to be stoned, um, but they didn't bring him forward. I don't know. Um, yet, when Jesus meets this woman who was rejected because of her, her past mistakes, because of her sin... He decides to step into her life and step into her space and not offer condemnation, but offer an invitation into a better life. See, this woman who had been labeled an adulterer, albeit for good reason, she was an adulterer. And the Samaritan woman was seen as a Samaritan for good reason. She was a Samaritan. And the leper was labeled as a leper for good reason. He was leprous. 
And because of these titles, culture has decided that they are to be treated as less than. We like to give titles too. Republican, Democrat, vaccinated, unvaccinated, white, black, Tennessee, Alabama, man, woman, Gen Z, millennial, baby boomer, divorcee, addict, adulterer. And culture tells us that that because of these labels, we're supposed to treat people differently. And we do. Man, do we love division. We love people like us, and we fall victim to the lie that, that people that aren't like us, we have to hate. But Jesus refused to accept this. See, when culture saw people as, as adulterous, leprous, Samaritan, unclean, Jesus saw them as loved. Not because of anything they did, but because they were created in the image of God. Jesus lived his life the way he did because he knew none of the descriptors that we give as people matter. However relevant they are, he knew the only descriptor that really mattered. The only thing, the only title he was going to let change the way he treated people was the title that God has given to every man, woman, and child ever to exist. And that is created in the image of God. What would it look like if we as Christians started living in Jesus' defiance? What if we started to refuse to treat people differently based on their descriptors? What if we started treating people like we knew they were created by and loved by God? What would our lives look like if we gave up accepting the cultural norms of who we could and couldn't like? What would it look like for us to stop accepting that we have to hate those different from us and instead realize that we are all created in the image of God? What would it look like for us to stop defining each other by our sin, political party, race, socioeconomic level, anything that that we use to divide? You want to know why Jesus' ministry was so successful? It was because it was shocking. For, For Jews to interact with Samaritans, what? We, we Jews don't do that. For, for Jews to interact with unclean people was unheard of. Because we're supposed to stay clean. It was shocking for Jesus to spend time with sinners. See, Jesus' ministry grew because people saw the way he loved people. He treated people differently than the other religious leaders. They saw the way he defied all cultural norms and loved people in crazy ways. And people wanted to be a part of that. See, Jesus had his own identifiers. He wasn't wasn't immune to them. People saw him as a teacher. And as a teacher, there were certain ways that he was expected to interact. Yet he defied those. Do you guys want to know why the church today is shrinking? Because we don't look much like Jesus anymore. We as a a church, as, as a church whole, not just East Brainerd, but as Christians, we have identifiers too. You, you know them, I know them. Harsh, judgmental, hypocritical. And as much as I hate to say it, in a lot of ways, these have been well-earned titles. But 
What if we stopped trying to act like we were perfect and that we've never messed up and instead admitted that we've missed the mark? What would it look like if we started being defiant? What would it look like if instead of arguing with people who disagreed with us about politics, we just accepted that sometimes we're going to disagree and, and, instead of, and instead of never talking to them, choosing to love them, not because of anything they do, not because of what they believe, but simply because they were created by and loved by God? What if we stopped acting like we were perfect and instead admitted that we are broken and sinful people in need of the grace of Jesus? And out of that knowledge, moved into inviting people into a relationship with Jesus, despite their mistakes. What if we started living out the call God has given us to love people? What if we started loving people who the rest of society said didn't deserve love? If we as a church began living our lives the way Jesus has called us to, if we began simply loving people because they were created by and loved by God, we would shock the world.